electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the murky road ahead for your money. As a key read on inflation comes in hotter, some yields dropping, others rising, all of it only adding to questions about what to do now in the markets. We'll ask the investment committee, of course, joining me for the hour today. Stephanie Link, Joe Terranova, Liz Young, everybody here at the table. We'll check the markets. Uh, what was green is uh, no longer, at least for the Dow and the S&P. NASDAQ is still holding on, perhaps taking a cue from those yields, which on some parts of the curve are still lower, 457 the 10-year, and that's a key area to keep your eye on. Uh, Stephanie Link, murky was about the best word I could come up with <laughs> in trying to figure out what to say about the markets right now because it feels that way. You feel like you have a view and then it gets all muddy mm. and now you're not really sure. What's up? What's, what, what, what do you think? Well, we've had a good couple of days over the last couple of days, right, since Friday's report, if, uh, jobs report. We're waiting for earnings. We're waiting for CPI. But I actually am encouraged, Scott. I mean, rates are stabilizing. Oil has pulled back. Some of the Fed members are a little bit more dovish, right? Uh, doesn't mean they're going to ease anytime soon. Rates are going to stay higher for longer. I don't know if they're dovish. Maybe they're less hawkish. No, I mean, whatever. <laughs> that doesn't whatever necessarily it is, but at least mean. It's, at least it's better. Better than them being all hawkish. Yeah, that's true. Right? So that's inflation true. also, I know today's number was a little hot. That was entirely energy. I mean, food prices fell 1.1%, which is pretty encouraging, right? Um, and goods also almost flat. Uh, services up about 2%. But the point being is that you're at 2.2% in the PPI headline, and you were at 11% in March of 2022. So we're making big progress there. The Atlanta Fed tracker, we talk about this all the time, mm -hmm. rose actually this week to 5.1% percent for the third quarter GDP. Maybe that comes down, maybe it doesn't, but it's still really strong. Um, and, and the economy is still doing pretty good, right? So so we wait for earnings. I think I think the economy and the strength of the economy is going to lead to better earnings, but we have to wait, right? I was encouraged with Pepsi yesterday, though, almost a 9% organic number. Mm -hmm. Everyone talks about gross margins being under yeah, pressure. Yeah, for a stock that's gotten creamed, right? Well, but the, my point being is everyone has been saying margins are going to get crushed, and margins actually rose 100 basis points year over year. So it's a nice start. It's one company, but I think earnings are going to be pretty good. Joe, I mean, Barclays calls it make or break uh, for earnings that even a satis they use the word satisfactory season would be helpful for stocks to find a floor. Now, we always show this now, the earnings growth estimates, the bar chart shows you kind of where estimates are, right? They've gone up after being underwater. Now they're back positive. And then they get even stronger as you go into 24. Do you agree with Barclays that a quote unquote satisfactory earnings season is good enough? Yes, because a satisfactory earnings season allows you to say, similar to what your Jets were able to do on Sunday, <laughs> they won the game. Didn't matter how they played or how they won the game, but they won the game. So you're so we're going to win. The market's going to win ugly. Is that so what investors are going to do? So if if you have a satisfactory earnings result, you could say, okay, we're out of the earnings recession. 
and what we see looking forward where we're going to see subsequent quarters of accelerating earnings growth, mm. there's validity to that premise. So I, I like that message and I think that's really all you, you'll need. I'm a little concerned about we're front loaded with earnings because we'll talk a little bit later, but I think the banks are going to be somewhat of a challenge here uh, for earnings. The real strength of earnings is going to come later on. But I like what Steph mentioned with Pepsi because Pepsi is the type of company which right now investors will pay the premium for. And that's a company that's defined as qualitative. It's a quality company, and that's what the market wants. So I'm going to push back on you for a minute because sure. I feel like, um, sure, you can be out of an earnings recession mm -hmm. um, and still not live up to where expectations are. And that means that the market is overpriced relative to where earnings expectations are for 24. So just being out of an earnings recession, come on, you know that's not going to be good enough. You, relative to where we just showed you where expectations are. If you come in well below that, even if you're out of the recession, market's not priced for that. Market's not priced for Q3 of 23 moving into Q4 and then Q1 and Q2 of next year, you better have growth of that degree or near that, but well, we got a problem, don't we? I think as long as we see from mega caps that they're able to continue to deliver, and that's been the dominant theme of 2023, you could say they're overvalued, they're not overvalued. You can't dismiss what their revenue contribution has been to the S&P 500 and also the year-to-date performance. And as long as those critical companies are able to deliver, whether in totality you could say it's a disappointing earnings season, it's a satisfactory earnings season, I just think it's going to be enough to get us through the hurdles that we have in the near term and set us up for a nice end of year. Well, I mean, you just dismissed the S&P 493 <laughs> as not mattering for earnings. Well, you think unfortunate. that oh, you think that you really think that mega cap earnings, that's all that matters for earnings season? I think mega cap earnings and performance dictate the entirety of where we go from now until December I think 31st. it's more than just mega, tech, mega cap tech. I do think they're going to have great numbers, mm -hmm. but I do think industrials are going to do very well. Yeah. I think energy with higher uh, oil prices, they're going to do very well. And I think, again, margins are going to hold up remarkably well across the space, across the entire market. So I think it's more than just tech. That'd be Liz a bonus. Young. What do you think? I think? think I think earnings season, especially the kickoff to earnings season, is important for the investor psyche right now. After having been through a tough August, a tough September, you get into October. If we start to hear that margins are more insulated than people are expecting, and particularly some of those big sectors like tech, like industrials, like financials, if investors start to hear that things are okay, satisfactory, whatever the word is that you want to use, that's the word they I use. Barclays does. Is that yeah. satisfactory good enough? I mean, well, the bar, I, mean, I guess, is low. satisfactory right now is flattish. Right. We went from expecting what negative 0.3% growth to now expecting 1.3% growth. These are not impressive numbers either way, but satisfactory numbers. And if they're not bad and piling onto a correction that started at the end of July, then I think it's enough to keep markets afloat absent any shock. I mean, Joe suggests that you just need to get out of the earnings recession and that's going to be good enough. So the point I would make on that is you have to remember how the sequence of events usually goes. You get a market correction, then you get an earnings recession, then you get an economic contraction. The question that we still do not have an answer to is, 
if and when and how deep that economic contraction will be. If the earnings recession is confirmed over with this season of earnings, then we have to wait and see what happens with the economy. My bet is that we will see a contraction, we will see a slowdown. The other thing that I want investors to keep in mind is that the market rarely, if ever, bottoms before a recession. If we avert a recession, then maybe what happened in 2022 or the beginning of 2023 was it. But if not, if we do have a recession, then we're likely to see more volatility in the market. Let me also just let you know, um, we're obviously waiting for Birkenstock to open here at the New York Stock Exchange. Our our Leslie Picker's on the case there. We're going to go to her as we move closer uh, to that. LP is uh, at one of the posts, and she's watching all of that obviously for us, and and we'll go to her. Uh, Again, priced at 46 a share. See the indication between 40, 42. So it's going to be an interesting open relative to the pricing, but she'll be on that uh, as soon as as we have more definitive information. Oil, we mentioned down. uh, Again, now about 83 bucks. Steph, I I mentioned that because you bought Parker Hannafin, PH. Yeah. Why? Well, it's not an oil company, but it's a diversified industrial. Uh, motion and control. It's also aerospace. You know, I'm a big aerospace fan, right? We're seeing a lot of momentum there. The stock was down about 5% in the correction of the last couple of weeks, and I thought a very attractive price valuation at 17 times. This is a company that's going to grow double-digit organic growth. Their backlog grew 38% last quarter. Free cash flow is substantial. They're going to be paying down debt. I just wanted to have more exposure. I'm already overweight industrials, as you very well know. Yeah, which, which other ones do you have right now? So Boeing, Boeing, GE, Deer, Deer, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Deer, and I, I did, I did sell um, UPS to buy Par- Parker Hannafin because I think that the uh, there's more upside. I think it's much more of an attractive story, and again, it's also a part of that. The story is onshoring, and you know, I took gains in Ingersoll Rand, and so I was kind of looking for another onshoring play, and this is it. So you just want to go bigger in industrials? Yeah, I do. Lean into cyclical. Place. A little bit, yeah, because I think the economy is going to be going to remain strong. I do not think that we're going to see a recession this year. So between now and the end of the year, well, no. Maybe, maybe in the second half of 2024, we have to see. There's a lot of a lot of time between now and the middle of 2024. Joe, industrials here and now. You like this move? I like this chart. I'm looking at it right now. That's a great looking chart. It's near near a five year high. Pulled back into the critical moving averages. Held the support there. A reasonable valuation from what I could see. Um, this, this looks like a solid name to own. Um, I, I think that you have to be very tactical within industrials themselves. I'm sure at some point in the show we'll discuss an area of industrials where the ETF strategy went long at the end of July, and the stock looks like a uh, the stocks look like and the charts look like ski slopes down. So in industrials. Um, it's, it's really about finding opportunities like a Caterpillar, like a Parker Hannafin, like a Copart, WW Granger. That, those are the companies that I think you want to own in this environment right now. We'll talk a little bit later about industrials where the momentum is overwhelmingly red. Overwhelmingly red. Overwhelmingly red. Okay. You want to have Jim Laventhal call in for that too? No. <laughs> okay. Were you talking about airlines? Yeah. Just maybe. Okay. Well, well, you just do it now. What are you talking about? They're Boeing awful. and they're awful. Delta, United Airlines. We added it at the end of July. It's the outlook for 2024 looks brutal. When you think about a higher uh, cost of fuel, when you think about consumers who are now beginning to show that spending on services is contracting, you think about what we went through over the last 12 months, Scott. 
where you did have a little bit of that roaring 20 mentality where everyone was going to Italy and Europe and traveling around the world. Um, they benefited from that. They benefited from capacity. And I think the best has passed for them. I can't do anything about it until October 31st. The momentum has broken down significantly. There are two horrific positions uh, within the portfolio. Unfortunately, we took those positions. They are what they are. But the outlook looking forward is not good. Steph was vigorously <laughs> dotting down <laughs> notes down. as you were okay. hating on Let me Boeing it, and the airlines. No, no, no. no. Didn't I, hate no, on go no, ahead. no, no airlines, on airlines, I agree 100%. Yeah, they really, they're really are ugly Boeing. and they're trading stocks, and I've never made money in them, honestly. But Boeing is different. It's a duopoly. It's got a 5,000 backlog. I mean, unit backlog. I mean, it's, it's substantial. And they're improving in terms of production. 737, 777, 777, 787. That's going to help free cash flow. And I still think they can get to 10 billion in free cash flow in the next two years. So you can, but I guess the interesting part of this conversation is that you can still be levered somewhat to the airline sure. business without being overly reliant sure. on the strength of the airline business. That's why I look that at the back, yeah, yeah, that's why I look at the backlog though, right? Because they're making the planes, right? And they have the orders. Yeah, I know orders can be canceled at, at any time though in, in a time of economic weakness. Just because you have an order fuel doesn't mean it though, ultimately gets fulfilled. The age, the age of the fleet, fuel efficiency, those are big themes for the airlines in general. So they're trying to they're trying to cut costs, the airlines are. And Boeing's planes are helping them do that. So I, I like the, the story a lot. This was a $400 stock, Scott, a couple of years ago, right? It's been really a hard one, but I do think they're on the, on the, on the mend. I, I also think the airlines are telegraphing exactly what you're saying about the economic outlook for 2024. There's, there's not much excitement surrounding whether there's going to be global growth, right? Mm. And I think that's exactly what the airlines are representing in their price action right now. A very muted growth environment. I think it's important for the viewers to understand that's probably what we're going to be challenged with in 2024. I'm gathering you don't like industrials, Liz, right? If you're caught, <laughs> right? I mean, you're, you're expecting a recession. Why are you laughing? I mean, it seems kind of <laughs> obvious, doesn't it? It, it is am, obvious. Am I a yeah. master of the obvious yeah. now? Is that, yeah. uh, is that why you're laughing? <laughs> no, no, you know, not at all, Scott. You are correct. I don't like industrials because I do expect a slowdown to come, and industrials are a very cyclically sensitive part of that. To talk about the airlines a little bit, if the thesis on airlines, if, if anybody was bullish on airlines, if the thesis was that consumers are going to just keep spending, keep traveling, not be price sensitive, I think that has completely played out. And even on months where you see inflation numbers that are attractive, where things have come down, things have cooled off, transportation costs largely due to airfare have stayed high and continued to grow. So. I think consumers have tapped out uh, that travel budget and are probably going to be a lot more sensitive going forward. But industrials in general, I do think it's idiosyncratic. I do think you have to choose your spots wisely, and you have to choose the companies that operate like well-oiled machines, no pun intended, but the ones that can cut costs carefully and that aren't going to blow up the entire operation mm -hmm. doing so. But I would expect there to be some labor cuts through the end of the year and early next year because I think companies have run out of spots to cut more costs, and inflation hasn't disappeared. It's slowed down, certainly, but it hasn't disappeared. Yeah, but onshoring so, is, is real, right? Yes. The $3 trillion in infrastructure yeah. spend is real. That's not going to go away. No way are these companies going to cut on labor. They can't even find labor. So yeah. there are parts, to your point, there are parts within industrials that you really do want to be overweight. Sure. And that's a big theme in my in mind. So in my sure. speaking of well-oiled machines, obvious segue to the Exxon PXD deal. Joe, we talked about it with you on the, the day that this was reported as you know, uh, 
maybe happening. Now here we got it. Mm-hmm. What do we think? You own the you own Exxon and the T, and you used to own PXD. You used to, you used to own PXD. I'm a little puzzled why uh, Pioneer is trading below the the, the price. Um, does that mean that? There's an element of the marketplace that doesn't believe this gets done, maybe from regulatory approval. I, I don't know, but that's a, some that's somewhat puzzling to me. Um, I said this the other day. This is a fantastic deal for Exxon Mobil. It clearly makes them the leader in the Permium, and the actual daily production that they'll have, Scott, will be larger than some of the production that you see from some of the smaller OPEC members. So. If this gets done, and, and hopefully it does get done, because I think it's a good deal uh, for all, um, this is going to benefit ExxonMobil significantly. Yeah. Why don't you own Pioneer anymore? So Pioneer came out of uh, the Joe T strategy at around $217. So basically, before the deal uh, was, was announced, that's where Pioneer Natural was. Um, it had lost momentum, and that was the reason that we had gotten out. What do you think about this, Steph? I mean, you own Chevron. You don't own Exxon, correct? Yeah. I think it's interesting that the two big companies, the biggest companies, are doing deals. And they, and they haven't done. This is like the interesting largest Interesting or deal. troublesome. This is the largest deal since 1999 for ExxonMobil. So that, to me, is, is very telling. They obviously see value. Um, the price, it's, it's kind of in line with what the rumors were at. Uh, I, I like the, the big majors. I prefer Chevron. I just prefer the Permian exposure. And I like the M&A that they've been doing. I also like Diamondback Energy. I do not think they're a takeout, though. They don't need to be. Um, and uh, you know I love SLB. I think the services sector is poised to uh, go much higher over the next couple of years. Yeah. Let's, um, let's touch on the mega caps. I know we, we hit them briefly just in sort of context of earnings season and who needs to do what to get this market from this particular place to that next level. Um, you got a lot of love for Amazon today, uh, by the way, because of their prime uh, big deal days event that continues. Telsey reiterate, reiterates, excuse me, outperform. Uh, Truist reiterates the buy. Moffitt Nathanson, uh, 51 billion reasons to buy the stock for 2024. They talk about, um, Stephanie Link, yeah. recent buy for you. Amazon, correct? Recent, yeah, recent buy for me. You've seen a massive multiple contraction from 122 times uh, 10 years ago, or 10-year average, to 43 times. It's not cheap, but I do think AWS is stabilizing and is poised to move higher. And the retail business, the margins are actually going up for the first time in a very long time. And I think as a result, you're going to see better operating leverage. So, yeah, I mean, I'll look and on any weakness. Scott, I'd buy more. Um, I think that this is a great story into the end of the year. Apple up again. Uh, well, basically flat, Joe. Uh, up five or so uh, out of six days since that downgrade. Uh, was like 171-ish when it got that downgrade midweek last week. Now 178 and a half. Yeah, the one that I'm excited about um, is NVIDIA because I think NVIDIA of the mega caps really month to date is coming back very strongly. Um, arguably one of the strongest, maybe Meta, can, can rival the type of performance. Apple, you're not seeing the significant comeback there. Um, but looking at the mega caps, I think it is Ken Meta, Ken NVIDIA, Ken Tesla, Ken those names 
continue to carry the leadership, if you would, for the mega caps through the end of the year. And if, in fact, they do, that's my thesis on why I went along the QQQ, because I felt in the portfolio being equally weighted, there was a deficiency, and I felt I was susceptible for this potential chase for performance in which you're going to look at these mega caps, and it's the only way for a portfolio manager to get significant exposure to a fourth quarter rally. Whatever you think of the fundamentals in the valuation. Well, you better hope rates sort of either stay where they are, don't, don't go right back, you know, towards 5%. I mean, especially for a, if you're using Tesla as a tell. Right. Tesla seems to be maybe the most sensitive of yes. the mega caps to rates. 100%. Um, I believe that to be true. And, and you're right. Um, I think we've heard enough from the Fed that, in fact, on November 1st, I think they pause. I think we've got the signaling from Vice Chair Jefferson. We heard from Lori Logan. We heard from Walla. We yeah, heard daily last week. Daily yeah, more, last we got a ton of Fed so, speak yeah, this I, week, too. I, I think we're going to get it. I just think the bigger risk really is, are we going to continue to see the increased supply, and you know so many people, Scott, have talked about this, the increased supply um, that, that's going to lead to more issuance, and that's going to jump up the end of the curve. Uh, all right. Um, let's do this. Let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll come back. We're still waiting for that Birkenstock first trade as well. Uh, digging into the food stocks. Steph just bought a new restaurant name we need to discuss. We'll serve it up next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. All right, we're back. Uh, we have a developing story around this Birkenstock IPO. Leslie Pickers on the floor with something, Les, you really never want to see when it comes to an IPO, and that's the prospect of it opening uh, substantially lower than the IPO price. Yeah, indications showing a decline of about 10% or more at this point in time, although we do still have sometime, maybe a little under an hour before this opens. You can see there's still about a $2 gap here on the indications between 39 and $41 a share. This one priced at 46. 
Uh, and I'm told that currently they're seeing a lot of orders between that 40 and 41 price range. So maybe we could see an open around that area. But you're right, Scott, we, we are not used to seeing too many declines. It's definitely in the minority of deals that come public. And this one priced in the middle of the range, as opposed to some of the other deals that we've seen in the last month or so that price at the high end or above traded up on day one, but have subsequently kind of faltered trading a few dollars above the IPO price, a few dollars below the IPO price, depending on the company. But this one, of course, dealing with a confluence of factors that are exogenous, unrelated to the company throughout its entire IPO process. You've got the potential for a government shutdown that almost thwarted their roadshow. Of course, the events in the Middle East over the weekend and beyond uh, that have added just an additional layer of uncertainty in the market. But executives from the company, the private equity backers, they all came on TV and said, this is a one of a kind brand. Good companies can go public in any market. So we'll see what the market appetite looks like when it starts trading. But currently, indications are showing a decline uh, at the open. Yeah, if it um, gets to that moment in the next 35 minutes, we'll be right back to you. Mm -hmm. Leslie Picker, thank you very much for that. Joe, this caught your eye, huh? It did. This is uh, this is somewhat surprising. Look, you know, we've had a series of IPOs in the month of September that went relatively well, although I think it's the Insta- day of. Yes, day of. Like so Instacart is down nearly 10 percent since the IPO. Um, you know, listen, we've turned the, 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 the calendar into the month of October. I think it's much different uh, given the setting, given the unfortunate and then horrific events that are going on in the Middle East, given the significant rise in the long end of the Treasury curve. It's a different environment. I don't think you want to draw the parallel to Allbirds. And I know a lot of people are out there doing that. This is a totally different company. This is a company that's been around for hundreds of years. Allbirds is a newer company, much different business model. So don't draw that parallel. But certainly what we're seeing here where this is coming in uh, below the range, it's, it's you know, certainly not, not optimistic. Yeah. Suboptimal. 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 I like that. Borrow a Kramer word. (laughs) Uh, All right, we'll keep our eye there. And uh, as I said, we'll get back to Leslie if and when that first trade happens during the remainder of our program. I do want to get to another move, Steph. Uh, Buying McDonald's. Yeah. Again. Again, I know. And I should just never sell it because I always like it. I like what they're doing. It's been a while since you've owned it. It is. And it's down 14% from its highs. And that is what caught my eye. And I wanted something that was consumer staple-like because the staple stocks have really disappointed and underperformed. And I think there's value there. Uh, I like the 3D strategy. It's digital drive-through and delivery, and that gives them pricing power, and that gives them mid-single-digit same-store sales opportunity. I like that input costs are coming down, that we learned that from Pepsi. That'll help margins. And I think the valuation, it's not its not cheap. It never really is, but it's at the low end of its historical range at about 21 times. All right. Um, you know what, by the way, Joe, did you see that Kava call today? Uh, speaking of, you know, relatively recent IPOs. That Morgan has- Stanley upgrades it today to overweight. Price target to 41. We made it our call of the day because it just plays into what Steph's talking about. And it, uh, by the way, it's a big upside, 29%. Yeah. It also plays into you uh, in sort of fast casual with Chipotle, which you still have in the T, right? Still have it in, in the uh, Joe T. Um, looking at Kava again, now this is below the initial, the uh, IPO price, first day of trading. It's fallen back. Um, I, I don't know if, if I agree with this call. I certainly like Steph's call with McDonald's a little bit better. Um, I think the balance sheet is critical when studying a lot of these fast, casual 
dining uh, stocks. And, you know, looking at Kava, it's, it's a relatively immature company to the public markets. I would be waiting here a little bit longer before stepping in. I would remain high up in quality. High up in quality is Chipotle and it is McDonald's. I mean, you, you do have to, you know, consider the strength of the consumer and whether it's deteriorating or not, because they're two distinctly different areas of the food chain, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, McDonald's versus Chipotle. Kava price point obviously a little more expensive. Uh, on that note, I bring it up because I'm just looking at some headers from Bostic, who's speaking. Mm. And what we said was a very busy week for Fed speak. A lot. Of the, here's what he says: a lot of signs, a lot of signs. The economy is starting to slow. Don't think we need to do anything more with rates. Mm. Yeah. You want to address that? So what is appears to you to be today a strong economy may not be tomorrow certainly. to certain you know members of the federal no, reserve certainly we're going to slow scott we're definitely going to slow we haven't felt the full effects just yet um i'd like to hear this though right we all like to hear this this is another fed official that's being a little bit more dovish that's good news so they're probably done with raising rates i just don't think that they're going to reverse immediately, right? I think they're going to keep rates high. They're going to see how it all plays out. The good news is, again, inflation is definitely coming down, absent energy. Uh, and I think that that is really the most encouraging signal. And by the way, the non-farm payroll numbers on Friday, the average hourly earnings numbers were, were tame. So that, too, is also coming down a little bit as well. Yeah, I mean, I would, if we're going back to restaurants for a minute, I would definitely go for the lower price point. I do think the consumer is going to have to pull back, and you've already seen consumers trading down. And I do think it's good that the Fed finally seems to be paying attention to that and not getting too wrapped up in things like core inflation that doesn't really affect the average American. Consumers are feeling the pain, and I think they can survive it, but they are going to continue to pull back and trade down. Scott, to your point on the, on the nuanced nature of restaurants and in a consumer that's retrenching within that Morgan Stanley note, they take Shake Shack down from $70 price target to 64 And if you look at the performance of Shake Shack over the last three months, Shake Shack is an example of what you're speaking towards. And the price action reflects that having declined significantly from its July highs. All right. So let's do this. We'll, we'll take a quick break. I have a number of interesting calls today, including regarding a bank stock. <laughs> Stephanie Link just bought more of that. So she's in the markets today uh, and active. And we'll do it next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. We have more moves. I said Steph was active in the market today. So you bought more Morgan Stanley, mm -hmm. and you bought more Bank of America, and you sold Schwab. Yeah. Have I got that right? Yes. 
Okay, talk to me. So about Schwab, that. I made about 12% <laughs> since I bought it last March. Okay. Right. So I just took my gains. I don't think the cash sorting is going away, unfortunately. Although if rates do come down, I think that should improve. But I just took my gains, and then I'm looking at Morgan Stanley. It's down 17% from its highs. It trades at 14 times earnings. You now get a 4.2% dividend yield on this thing. Mm-hmm. Capital ratios are great. You're going to have a mixed quarter for the whole bank sector. NII's net interest income and NIM's net interest margins are going to be crummy. That's going to be for the entire space. But trading, investment banking, and fees should be better than expected. Morgan Stanley has a wealth management business. They have 18.5 million customers. And I think that's growing. The total addressable market in wealth management is 100 million customers potentially. So I think this one, I think, is a bargain. And I do expect capital markets, as it recovers, the stock will recover. Okay. I don't have this in front of me, Joe. Hi, Scott. But if I recall, hi, Scott. <laughs> if I recall, <laughs> yes, sir. You just sold Morgan Stanley like a week ago, right? And Bank of America as well. Oh, wow, nice, <laughs> great. All right, so take the other side of this trade, please. All right, so I, listen, I could I could take the easy way out, and I could say Steph's going to be right in the long term for Morgan Stanley, and you know well, that you are. Not with me here, you can't. But you know, anyway, you know that you are. Oh, no. <laughs> but I ha- I have significant concerns uh, about what we're going to hear on Friday. I have significant concerns as it relates to the condition of commercial real estate and the consumers, and what does that mean for the banks with charge-offs? I think there's going to be a lot of bad loans. I think there's going to be a lot of charge-offs. I think you're going to see a very high level of loan loss provisioning. I think the credit quality of large-cap banks is going to be called into question. There's going to be a lot of capital that's going to be hoarded on their balance sheet. And I think when you look at their securities portfolio, you, you, the unrealized losses are going to be there. They have to be there, given the backup and yields on the long end of the curve. So um, I don't even know. She's going to the notes. She's going to the notes. But I don't but I, you think trading's going to be good. That didn't work out for you well last time. It'll be less bad. It'll be less bad. Less bad? It'll be less bad. Trading, I think, is going to be fine. Investment banking is less bad. I mean, you're still going to be down like 30%, but you're not going to be down 50% like you were last quarter. I own J.P. Morgan because I think J.P. Morgan, I think the NII is going to be okay there because of First Republic. That's the only bank that'll that'll be good. But I don't think you should worry about charge-offs right now because I was just looking at my notes. American Express, actually, a couple of weeks ago, released August data, and loan growth was up 18%, Mm -hmm. but their charge-offs only rose about four basis points. And you're still at such low levels to your like I think they're 1. coming in higher stuff. Well, I think I for I think they could go higher for sure, especially if you see a Especially commercial real estate. Well, it's it's, it's only about 10% of their business. I mean, Wells Fargo has the most and it's 14% of their business, right? So I get it. Sure, but they will be able to offset it with other parts of the business. And again, I think the capital markets piece is going to be something that surprises to the upside. Oh, by the way, Morgan Stanley downgraded today at UBS to neutral. Price target, let's show the stock again, if you would, for me, please. Just can't remember where it's currently trading. Price target goes to 84. Yep, so there you go, 79. Price target cut to 84 from 110. Um, you know, not much upside here. Uh, and they also cut their earnings estimates. Okay, fine. And then that lower the expectations. I mean, I don't know why you would do it now, down 17% from its trying size. to get ahead of the trying to get ahead of the report. You know what? I think it's going to be is it going to be great the earnings? No, it's going to be mixed as I mentioned, but I think the expectations are so low, Scott. 14 times earnings. And they have a lot of wiggle room in terms of the efficiency ratio, right? And they're, they're, they plan on getting that down on, uh, below 70%. Um, and their ROTCE target of 20%, that's what's going to be key on the conference call. They've got to reiterate that. I think they will. Okay. 
Let's get the headlines now with Silvana Hanau. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Scott. The State Department reported. Sorry about that. We are just getting an updated death toll from the State Department of American citizens lost in the Israel-Hamas war. At least 22 Americans have been confirmed dead so far. Yesterday, President Biden said that 14 Americans had been killed. A bipartisan group of senators asked the defense secretary to send Israel batteries for its Iron Dome. The letter says that the U.S. Army is in possession of two Iron Dome batteries that cannot be used inside the United States. The Iron Dome launches interceptors to block incoming rockets. The senators wrote that these batteries could provide life-saving and sustained support. And as House Republicans meet behind closed doors to discuss who should become the next House Speaker, a group of New York lawmakers introduced a resolution to expel their colleague George Santos. A new indictment Tuesday says the Long Island representative was accused of stealing the identities of donors and using their credit cards to ring up tens of thousands of dollars. Meanwhile, a vote on a new House Speaker could come as early as this afternoon. Scott. All right, Silvana, thank you. Silvana had now coming up a bullish call in the transport space. We do have ownership on the desk, which means that trade is next. Welcome back. More analyst calls today. JP Morgan upgrading CSX. That's to overweight from neutral. Joe, you own CSX, yeah? yeah? It's, in it's the a, Joe it's, T? It's a more recent position. Um, fantastic balance sheet. It really was the quality factor, the reason uh, that it was added. So uh, I'm hopeful now that you could see a little bit of a recovery in terms of price because the price has been somewhat disappointing. But this is a, a company that scores very high when you study their debt to equity, their return on equity, uh, and their ability to see revenue growth potentially increase. Transports are coming off three straight days of gains. That's for the first time since August 30th. Do you like, Seth, rails? I don't own any rails at this moment in Why time. Why not? You, uh, I mean, Why not? I own a lot of industrials, and I just don't think that rails at this point, I don't think the valuations are that compelling, Scott. Union Pacific I've owned in the past, but it's still trading at about 21 times forward estimates. CSX is interesting because it's trading actually at 10 times yeah. EBITDA which is really pretty attractive. So, I mean, if you think the, the economy's gonna hang in there, then sure, you, you probably do wanna have exposure. I just have exposure elsewhere. I know, but why don't you own, if you, if you, you're one of the more optimistic people on the show, I think, about the, the, about the, economy. the economy. Why don't you own more transports? Aren't they a perfect reflection of one's optimism or pessimism sure. into the economic picture? I, I, would, I, I would rather own more onshoring beneficiaries, pure plays like the Parker Hannafin, right? I like the ag cycle, and that's Deere is, has gotten hammered. Uh, and I think the technology component within Deere is very exciting. Rails are about as onshore as you can get, right? Well, they, they can be onshore. <laughs> they are onshore. They're transporting things to and from. I don't know. I just prefer the ones that I own at this point in time, and I just don't think that the valuations are all that compelling. What about you, Liz Young? Well, I, th I think, if, and I don't want to put words in Steph's mouth, but the themes that she's talking about I'll are I'll do more that. Don't worry. Term. You just do what yeah, you do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're more long-term, right? You talk about onshoring. That takes five, ten years. It's going to be a while before that's all finished. Transports, to me, are an indicator of sentiment right now, number one, for consumer goods products and just in the market. You want to see transports confirm a move up in the market. Three days, to me, is not enough of a confirmation, so I'd still be holding on here. All right. We'll take a quick break. Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator, he'll join us next with his midday word. We're back right after this.
right, we're back with uh, Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator. All right, so PPI a little hotter. Yeah. Um, that seemed to unnerve things a little bit because now we have a mixed picture on rates. And I would assume that puts more pressure now on tomorrow's CPI. Yes, I think it's all exactly what it is. And it shows you that yields and the potential runaway move to new highs, it's still kind of the monster under the bed, even though you got a few days of, of good movement down in yields. Um, you know, short covering oversold rallies happen in bonds as well. And so that's part of what's been going on. And if that's all it is, then maybe stocks can't take too much comfort. Uh, I've been saying 4.6 on the 10-year seems like a bit of a line between, you know, Maybe we have a little bit of a peak in place on the chart, but you'd much prefer if it was down much closer to 4.4, where it would seem like it's a broken uptrend. So well, I think that's It is down 30 basis points no, in a week. A tremendous amount, yeah. Um, and we were solidly below 4.60 earlier before the PPI number. So yeah, we do have a little bit of, a, of an acute sensitivity on that score. That being said, up 3.5% off the lows. Market's kind of digesting, especially the average stock is mm -hmm. kind of taking a breather. And uh, when earnings season starts, stuff moves on its own back and forth. Usually you don't have as much correlation, as much kind of index heavy macro moves. What else are you watching today? I mean, the oil's down, yeah. you know, close to one and a half percent. What else is on your mind? It's mostly um, it, it is the oil and it is the kind of breather being taken in some of the, the cyclical relief, like the banks that, that got a little bit of a bid in there. And, you know, it's going to have to work itself out. I still think that it's a very modest move at the index level after you have had a three day sprint higher. Yeah, you've had a nice sprint for speaking of using that word for the Russell, giving a little bit back. Uh, yeah. But it's been, what, five or so straight days exactly. uh, up. I'll see you in a little bit. All right, that's Mike Santoli, because we have to get now to uh, Kate Rooney, who is covering the Sam Bankman-Fried trial uh, a short distance from here in lower Manhattan. Kate? Hey, Scott. So Caroline Ellison has been on the stand this afternoon. We are getting a ton of really salacious details from her time at Alameda. First, Scott, so in order to plug a hole at FTX, the company had. Ellison says the Bankman Freed was trying to raise money from Saudi Arabian investors, in particular Prince Mohammed bin Salman, MBS. Then at one point later, uh, she said that Alameda executives paid a $150 million bribe to the Chinese government in order to unlock some accounts on a Chinese crypto exchange. Before they did that, one of the options that they talked about, according to Ellison, was to use fake accounts to try to withdraw some of those funds. Those accounts were actually Thai prostitutes. You heard me right. That is according to Ellison. That failed. So they ended up transferring more than $150 million to the Chinese government through cryptocurrency. They talked about this in veiled terms when whenever it was on spreadsheets. They wrote about it internally, calling it just the thing, the $150 million thing in order to cover it up. There was an employee, she said, that pushed back on SBF around all of this. Allegedly, in a meeting, he told her to shut the F up. He apparently was known for these types of outbursts, especially in stressful situations. Ellison said that they used what they called the New York Times test. So anything that could have been written on the cover of the New York Times, you wouldn't want in writing. That was a mantra, apparently, and what she said internally. As a result, everything was done on encrypted messaging apps, especially Signal. She said SBF's conversations with her were set to a one-week auto-delete in order to make sure nothing really got out. She also talked about their relationship pretty intimately. She said they had broke, uh, they broke up by the summer of 2021. She was still sending him updates about the business, but she avoided things like one-on-one -on -one meetings. At one point, she talked about that Bahamas apartment that they all lived in, said that she started crying when Sam Bankman-Fried confronted her about the financial mess being her fault, as she put it. She said that he blamed her for not hedging earlier. She got extremely upset. And then she later made a list of things that she called the list of things that Sam is freaking out about. He would talk about 
various things that they needed to address. It included raising money from MBS, like I mentioned, getting regulators, she said, to crack down on one of their biggest competitors, Binance. That was in order to improve their own market share. Also, guys, buying Snapchat, allegedly, that he was trying to buy Snapchat and then freaking out, as she put it, about possible bad PR for the companies in the next six months. Finally, some details around his moral compass. Ellison described Bankman-Fried as what she called utilitarian. She said that he didn't think that lying or stealing was wrong, that if it was part of this bigger goal and bigger picture, she said that the means justified the ends. Ellison described living really in a state of fear and anxiety around all of the lines. She has pleaded guilty. She's testifying today and this week as a part of that cooperation agreement. Bankman-Fried has pleaded not guilty. The defense has really tried to place a lot of the blame on Ellison. They're going to get a chance to cross-examine her at some point this week. Scott, back to you. Yeah, incredible. Just incredible testimony. Kate Rooney, thank you very much. We'll have more from Kate, of course. Uh, and you'll see much more on the rise and fall of Sam Bankman-Fried in our CNBC documentary, The Collapse of FTX, Insiders Tell All. You can check it out on CNBC.com. Scan the QR code on the screen right there for the link as well. Coming up, we're following some big moves in the medical devices uh, space as we speak. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do a little bit more on that next. Welcome back. We're watching the medical device stocks. There's the ETF right there, the IHI down more than 4%. That's tracking for the worst day of the year. Joe, you flagged this. I mean, many of the names within that space, um, hospital stocks, Yep. I mentioned those, HCA, Tenant, told yep. us about those two. Those are t- uh, this is sort of the, the euphoria over these weight loss drugs is taking a toll. Um, you think in weight loss, uh, I mean in uh, medical devices, excuse me, and then the hospitals to some degree too. Absolutely. Um, you know, you're seeing DeVita, which is down, as you said, 20%. But the news comes from the fact that uh, Novo Nordisk and Ozempic is actually having that diabetes drug is having a positive effect here on kidney disease. That's one of the reasons why you're seeing all these medical <laughs> devices really implode and this contagion effect. But you're right, Scott, it, it is about Ozempic and a lot of the impact that's being felt right now. Uh, and it's being felt in healthcare, but it's also being felt to a certain extent in a lot of the consumer staple names. Well, you got, you have Striker? I have Striker uh, and Intuitive Surgical. Yep. Right? In the Joe T. Yes. And those are two of the more uh, quality names that you could own in the medical devices. It's going to be interesting to hear what United Healthcare says on Friday about utilization rates, mm-hmm. because that's why I own Zimmer, because utilization rates are actually going higher. And this company happens to be able to gain market share, grow mid-single-digit total revenues, and see margin expansion, and the supply constraints are easing. But it's down 5% today on this news because Silk Road negatively pre-announced, and, they're, and they're, their CEO is retiring. So there's a lot of bad news out there today. I'd be a buyer on weakness of Zimmer. All right, quick break, final trades just after. Hope you join me on Closing Bell today, 3 o'clock Eastern. A market picture looking a little different than it did right out of the gates today. So we'll see how it looks when we approach the end. I'll walk you right up to it with Dan Greenhouse, Jordan Jackson, Stacey Rascon on what's happening in chips. Kevin Simpson always making trades. He'll bring us his latest as well. Still waiting for a first trade on Birkenstock as well. The IPO set to open. There's the range, 39 to 41. Remember, price to 46. So it's going to be a disappointing open, at least at this moment. We'll track when it does open. We'll let you know uh, first and foremost when that happens. Liz Young, final trade. 
consumer staples down almost 12% since the end of July, much more than the index. And I talked about the consumer trading down before. A lot of these companies are the ones that should benefit from that and hang on to consumption that remains. Okay, thank you. Joe T. Adobe with a nearly perfect technical formation. Looking for it to break out further to the upside towards a new all-time high. The Linkster. J.M. Smucker, I too am looking at the Staples stocks. This, trade is, this thing trades at 12 times earnings. It's down 27% year to date. I like the hostess acquisition That's the thing. too. A lot of these stocks have you know, gotten hit pretty hard. I think there's Pepsi, some opportunity. Pepsi, Coca-Cola, Smucker. Yeah. All right, I'll see you on Closing Bell. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that... That's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com.